0: Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You're about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blalock entitled, The Legacy of a Disciple, from our series, Discipleship 101. Amen. Amen. Psalm 78 is our text today. And again, a special honor and appreciation today to our senior adults and our grandparents for all that they do to love us and, and show God's love to us today. It's a special day for us at the Hill every year. Amen. Nine-year-old girl has written this basic description of a grandmother, and it quickly became a classic and went viral, as we would say today. She said, a grandmother is a lady who has no children of her own. She likes other people's children. A grandfather is a man grandmother. (laughs) Glad to know that. He goes for walks with the boys, and they talk about fishing and tractors and stuff like that. Grandmothers don't have to do anything except be there They're old so they shouldn't play hard or run It is enough if they drive us to the market where the pretend horse is and have lots of quarters ready to make it run Or if they take us for walks They should slow down past things like pretty leaves or caterpillars They never say hurry up like our parents do Usually, they are fat, but not too fat to tie kids' shoes. They wear glasses and funny underwear, and some of them can even take their teeth out. They don't have to be smart, only able to answer important questions like why dogs hate cats and how come God isn't married. They don't talk baby talk like some people do because it's hard to understand when they have when they read to us they don't skip pages everybody should try to have one especially if you don't have television because grandmas are the only grown-ups who have still got time amen today in psalm 78 it's a great psalm and it is written about grandmas and grandpas it's written about senior adults and people in one season of life who are charged by God with the high calling of sharing their legacy and heritage of faith with the upcoming generations amen and we won 't read the whole psalm; it is long, but if you would like to read it, I would urge you this afternoon, if you have some time alone, sit down and read the whole psalm it 's a wonderful history of the people of Israel and how God uh, brought them through and Asaph, who wrote the psalm, his burden was he wanted to make sure that his generation, his children and grandchildren, knew what God had done from the time of Moses up to the time when he lived, the time of David. And so the psalm sweeps you through from the days of Moses to the days of David, and it gives you the big scope and picture of what God had done and was doing for his people. It's a great psalm. We will only read the first eight verses, the opening stanza. So if you have your Bible, that's where we will be today. We're in the middle of our Back to School Discipleship 101 series. We've covered a lot of ground, talking about what does it mean to follow and obey Jesus, as his disciples we've learned about the calls of a disciple to dwell in his presence declare his message and demonstrate his love we've talked about the marks of disciples that they're called and committed and totally consecrated to God we talked last week about the contributions of disciples their time their talent their tithe and how they invest in the work of God as the Lord prospers them and blesses them well today we're going to talk about the legacy Of a disciple. Say that with me. The legacy of a disciple. You and I have been given today a sacred trust to guard. Psalm 78 explains it to us. Hear the word of the Lord. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. That they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation that did not set its heart aright, whose spirit was not faithful to God. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word and his people said, Amen. There's never been a time in the history of our nation that the ministry of grandparents has been more important. And notice I called it a ministry. Say a ministry. I believe what grandparents and senior adults do for coming generations is a ministry and it is an important one and a vital one that is needed in families and in the life of the church today. It's not just a sideline job. Can I tell you today, did you know 4.2 million households in the United States are households where grandparents live with their grandchildren? Over 4 million houses in America. 3% of all U.S. households contain grandparents living with their grandchildren. 60% of those households are managed or maintained by the grandparents. The grandparents are actually running the house and taking care of those grandchildren. And a third of those families, there were no parents present. It was only grandparents taking care of grandchildren. That is the world. That is the country that you and I live in today, where there is this increasing responsibility on grandparents to parent. Not only the generation that they brought up, but the generation behind that one. And there's a great burden on the shoulders of many grandparents today. I, I look around our local church and I see this happening. I see grandparents who are having to step in and take on much greater responsibility than would have been expected a couple generations ago. Many times they are helping maybe financially if they're not in the home, but many times the grandchildren live in the home with them and they may even be the head of that home and may be taking up the slack that mom and dad have left behind. We see it happening so much around us today. 2.7 million grandparents in the U.S. are raising their grandchildren. That is amazing. And many right here in our congregation find themselves in that spot. And if you don't now, you have at some point in the past. And or you may in the future. Some of you say, oh Lord, I hope not, right? Amen. Amen. That's okay. We've got some people who've done that ahead of you. Maybe we could start a support group and they could show you how to do it if you need to. Amen. We'll pray you don't. But can I tell you, it is a reality today that grandparents are being called up for active duty more and more. And the latter years of their life are not being spent in the way that they dreamed they would be spent. Amen. For many, many people in our church and in our nation. Amen. Well, I want to tell you, grandparents, whether they're in your home or not, whether you're the time you spend with them is a lot or a little, you have been given a great opportunity and a great responsibility, a great opportunity and a great challenge to communicate your faith to that next generation. In fact, I would say our country faces a crisis of faith. Say a crisis. In in the Chinese language, words are built by putting characters together. Where other words come together to make new words. And in the Chinese language, the word crisis is the word opportunity and danger written right beside one another. A crisis is an opportunity, but there's also a great danger. There is a danger today that we will lose a generation who does not understand and adopt the Christian faith. But I want to tell you, grandparents, there's also a great opportunity that you can step in and be a pivotal part of making sure the faith does get transmitted and the legacy and heritage of faith continues in our country and in your family and through the ministry of our church, amen? You've been given, number one today, a sacred trust. Say that with me, a sacred trust. We find it in verses four and five, I love this. Verses four and five of our text tell us that we've been given a trust. What do you mean, pastor? If you're a Christian believer, you've received great gifts from the Lord. The wisdom you've gained from God's word, the personal knowledge you have acquired through many life experiences are a sacred trust that should be shared with the next generation. Our trust has two main parts. Number one, the Bible says we understand the works of God. Say the works of God. Verse 4 says, we will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works. Do you see it? That is part of the trust. We understand, we have witnessed and seen these things. Now listen, the psalmist here is not just writing about things he's read about. He's not just talking about things he read in the Bible. He's not just talking about stories from the time of Moses. He is actually talking about things he lived and experienced. Things he saw. Asaph lived in the time of David, and he didn't just hear about Moses and the Red Sea and those miracles. He was alive during the time when David would have killed Goliath, whenever the armies of God would have overcome their enemies. He had seen and heard about in his own lifetime the work and the hand of God upon the people of God. Amen? He had his own story to tell, his own witness of what God had done. He knew about the works of God. Asaph spends most of the rest of this psalm recounting the history of Israel, telling the story of God's people. Can I tell you today, Christian, you have a story. Say a story. You have a story to share, a story to tell, and your story matters. Your story matters. God has brought you through great trial and difficulty, and that is part of your story. Let me ask you, what is your story today? Were you brought up in a believing home? Are you second, third, or fourth generation Christian in your household? or did you have the hard struggle of coming out of a background where your family did not know and love God and you had to start from scratch a brand new legacy and heritage of Christian faith what is your story how did you come to saving faith in Jesus how did you become a Christian how did you become a believer in the gospel of Christ do your, does your family know that story Have they heard you tell it do are you sharing that legacy with them has God ever done anything else for you? Do you have stories of how God healed your body or provided financially for you? What it looked like things weren't going to uh, the, the the there was more month than money at the end of the calendar page. Has God ever come through for you financially? Have you ever shared about that? Does your family know your story? What are the many dangers, toils, and snares God's brought you through? What are the trials and temptations that you've overcome? What are the storms that you've met and been allowed to survive and conquer? Your testimony is a powerful tool. We live in a world today where many people walk away from Christian faith. I'm convinced there are a couple reasons for that. One of the reasons, I believe, is we don't do a good job of answering some difficult questions for our young people. And that's a shame because there are good answers to their questions. If someone would do the hard work of presenting them to them, So they could get over some of their obstacles to faith. But I want to tell you it's not just about that. I think a lot of it comes down to personal experience. Our young people need to hear and know your story of faith. They need to hear and be able to trace in your personal testimony the hand and the finger of God at work in your life. Amen. The best version of the Bible they'll ever have is the version of their mom and dad and their grandma and grandpa. Amen. One of the great uh, theologians they were in a debate one day about which Bible translation was the best which version of the Bible was the most accurate and one person said well I'm old school and I still like the King James Version and another said well I think the New American Standard is more accurate and a younger man said well I like the English Standard Version it's a little newer but I think it's the most accurate to the text and it's my favorite version one old man in the corner said well I liked my mama's version best. Because her way of translating the scripture into real life always made the meaning plain to me. I want to tell you, that's the kind of Bible versions we need today. Paul said, you are living letters, living epistles, read and known by all men. Men and women who will never read the Bible will hear your story and observe your life. Amen? And sometimes we need to just tell our story. I love it. In John, in, in John 9, that's exactly what the blind man did. The Pharisees hemmed him up in a corner and began to ask him all sorts of theological questions about Jesus. We think this man that healed you is a sinner. Do you know if he's a sinner or not? Tell us about him. And the Bible says the blind man said, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. The last I checked, the sinner couldn't open the eyes of the blind. I've never even heard of anyone healing a man more than blind, whether he be a sinner or not. And, and, and they ask him all these questions. And finally the man says, why don't you go ask him yourself all these questions? And finally he ends the argument with this. They, they ask him one more time about the man who healed him. And he finally says, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. All I know is this. I was blind and now I can see. Amen. Amen. A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Amen? Amen. I was sharing with our our group for for our new members group uh, recently, and I said, you know, one of the reasons I'm a Christian and the main reason that I am a Pentecostal Christian, this stripe of Christian, is because I've seen and experienced too much to be anything else. Uh, It's not just that I believe the Bible, although I do believe the Bible. It's not just that I believe the history, that Jesus really did die and rise from the dead. I believe that with all my heart. But I want to tell you part of the reason that I believe in, in what I believe is not only that, not only the history, not only the word, but it is the works of God. Say the works of God. I've seen him work. I've seen him move. I've seen him do things that are completely unexplicable any other way. Amen. I've seen God heal the sick. I've seen God drive out demons from people that were hopelessly bound by addiction and bondage. I have seen God do miraculous things. I've seen him do it right in front of my eyes. I'll never forget as long as I live sitting on an organ bench one night playing at the close of a service whenever a little lady in our church came down and she'd worn a built up heel her whole life and one of her shoe heels was longer than the other and that night she came down for prayer and an evangelist sat her in a folding chair took off her shoes and put her legs in the other end of that chair and walked up and tapped her leg that was shorter than the other one and said in the name of Jesus grow and I watched her leg come out about two and a half inches and when it got level with the other one he touched her leg and said stop in the name of Jesus and she walked out carrying her shoes in her hand because they didn't fit anymore because she didn't need them anymore and I think Gloria I held the same C cord for about 35 seconds with my mouth wide open just Amen Why are you part of a spirit filled church? I'm ruined for anything else Anybody who wants to tell me God doesn't still do amazing things, you came too late. I'm sorry, you got me too late in the game. Amen. I've seen too much. I've seen too much. Amen. I've walked out of camp meeting services with empty wheelchairs and and, and walking sticks littering the front of the building and people not having to come back and get them a few days later either. I've seen the hand of God work and move. i tell you what else I've seen that impresses me even more. I've seen drunk people get sober. I've seen drug addicts get clean. I've seen men who beat their wives and abuse their children get straight and filled with the love of God and turn into the best husbands and fathers that you could ever imagine. I've seen the works of God. I've seen the power of God displayed. Are you, do you have stories? I hope you have stories. Are you sharing them? Have you ever told them? You've got a story to tell. You've seen the works of God. Say the works of God. Number two, we've got the word of God. Say the word of God. Not only do we tell what we've experienced firsthand, but we tell what we know to be true on good authority. What you and I have in our hands today is the Word of God. Reliable eyewitnesses to the death and resurrection of Jesus wrote down their experiences for us. And we can trust that they are accurate and true. Why? Because they gave their lives and suffered to the point of death rather than deny these things were so. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus changed 11 men who were cowards and quaking in their boots into mighty evangelists of the gospel because they knew that Jesus had died and rose again. And they didn't fear death because they'd seen him come back from the dead. And it, the story's true. We not only have the works of God, we have the word of God. Verse 5 says, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should make known to their children verses 1 to 3 asaph says i'm going to recount to you not only the works i've seen but i'm going to tell you the word of god that i know to be true verse 1 to 3 he says give ear O my people to my law incline your ears to the words of my mouth i will open my mouth in a parable and i will utter dark sayings of old i love that phrase dark sayings of old now, when I read that phrase, I often think, well, that must mean things that are difficult to understand. But that's not really what the, word, what the phrase meant originally. Dark sayings of old meant this. There are some things that come to us from ancient times that we absolutely know to be true. And they are dark sayings of old. And we're going to tell them to you because even though they happened a long time ago, we know with certainty that they really did happen. And those events that really did happen frame up for us what is real and what isn't real. What is true and what is false. And so Asaph says, we want to frame up for you what is real and what is not. And it starts with some ancient stories that have come down to us. Stories like God rescuing his people from Egypt. God revealing himself to them on a mountain and giving them ten commandments. God bringing them into their own land and establishing them there. God sending his son to that group of people. Dying again and establishing his church to carry the message to the world some things of old it's not just our job to pass on our story it's our job to pass on God's story the story of the word of God we're called to make sure our children know God's moral law do you notice it there he says give ear to my law say my law <coughs> there are some moral truths we're commanded to pass on and share with the next generation what is right and wrong, and that God alone has the sovereign right to decide what we may and may not do. And it's not open for debate, and it doesn't matter how the Congress votes on it. God doesn't change his law. He has said what and established the boundaries for us, and whenever you stand before him on the last day, he's not going to go by anything but what he said. Amen. So we better be aware of what he said. How many of you like to know what's on the test before you sit down and open the booklet? Amen? Amen. I want to know what's on the test. Well, when you stand before the Lord, here's what's on the test. God's law. This is how we ought to live. His moral principles are binding on us. We're called to make sure that our children know what sin is and that they know they are sinners. Who have committed sin and broken God's law. And that they understand there is only one remedy for sinners like us. And that is that God sent his son who passed a test we could never pass. And made a perfect grade and signed our name on the top of it in his own blood. So that we could be forgiven and we could be made right with God. When we trust in his death and resurrection. And take him as our own Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. You and I need to make sure they understand that Jesus, who died to save them, has earned the right to be their commander, their Lord, their master, and to command them to live lives that honor His authority. We're called to make sure they understand the work of the Holy Spirit and how He can enable them for purity and empower them for purpose in this world to live a life that honors and pleases God. Our attitude ought to be that of Asaph in verse 18 in verse 18, he says it this way in in fact, I want you to read it with me if you've got it there. Read it with me. Oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. That was his mission. I want to make sure that I pass on what I've received to the next generation. It is a sacred trust. Amen. Our legacy is not a treasure that we possess. It is a heritage we pass down. And that brings me to my second point this morning. Not only is it a sacred trust, there's a serious task. Not only do we have and hold these things, and not only are we to guard and keep them, we are to share them. We are to communicate them. We are to make sure the baton is successfully passed to the next generation. One of the hardest moments in Olympic history was when the U.S. team thought they were winning, only to realize that the girl ran right past her successor, and the other one took off running only to get 500 yards down the pike and realize she did not have the baton in her hand. She was running the race, but she had not grabbed the baton from the previous runner. I want to tell you, you and I are at a critical juncture point like that in the United States of America. It is imperative that there is a handing off, a passing down of the baton of faith and legacy and heritage in our country. Amen. We, what, what does that look like, Pastor, this serious task? Well, number one, we must share the message. Say, share the message. There's this sharing that has to happen with our younger people. Our text is very explicit that God intends for us to share with the next generation the testimony of his works and the content of his word. Verses five and six say it this way, that they should make known to their children that that generation to come might know them and the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. This is the task before us. The Bible gives us commands of this. Exodus 10, he says it this way. The Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh. I have hardened his heart, the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these miraculous signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and your grandchildren. Do you see it? That you may tell your children and your grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, that they may know that I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he follows it with this commandment. Not only are you to know it, not only are you to love him, but look at verse 6. And these words which I command you today will be on your heart, And you shall teach them diligently to your children. How do you do that? Well, he tells us how to do it. Look at what he advises. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You will bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Church, parents, you get about 30 or 40,000 hours with your kids and we get uh, just a few hundred hours with your kids every year in the church. That's the reality. If there's going to be a successful transmission of the Christian faith, it's going to have to happen not only when we're gathered here on Sundays and Wednesdays, it's going to have to be happening at home. It's got to happen in our living rooms and our bedrooms. There has to be time when this life on life transfer is happening. You've got to guard your time with your family. You must guard it. The world will winnow it away from you. If you're not careful, you'll look up and they'll be at school all day. And then they'll be at some other event in the evening three or four times during the week. And you'll look up and you will have spent a handful of hours with your children. And even those hours may not be meaningful hours for carrying on the tradition of passing the faith down to your children. We must be deliberate about this. We must guard our responsibility to do this. We must carve out time and create ways to share our faith with our families. Oh, that you would hear my heart today. It is not enough, it is not enough to bring them to church and and, and think that in the few hours here on Sunday morning or Wednesday night that we're gonna be able to embed the truth of God deeply enough into their heart for them to survive the storm of humanism and secularism and agnosticism that they will face when they walk out of these walls. It must be written on the hearts of the children by the parents and the grandparents. He said, you are to tell your children and your grandchildren, Exodus 10, verse 1 and 2. Just as surely as we find in Judges 1 that it only took one generation who knew not God nor remembered his works to send Israel down the wrong road, the same can be true for us. I love the story here though. Asaph didn't just tell them. He wrote them down. Say he wrote them down. He wrote them down in a song. He didn't just sing the song. He taught others to sing the song. I love that. He was going to make sure that the people that he knew and loved never forgot the story of what God had done. He taught it to them in a song. We teach lots of things in songs, don't we? We teach the ABCs in songs. Some of you, if you were honest, whenever you go to alphabetize something, you still have to go, A B C D E F G. Yeah. Amen. You, you still learned it that way, right? We learn through a song. Well, I want to tell you something. Well, pastor, I can't write music. No, but you know what you can do? When you get in your car, you can put it on a good Christian station that plays good Christian music and you can make sure that the atmosphere of your home and the atmosphere of your vehicle that those kids are riding in is one where they are hearing the works and the word of god you can do that he said write it on the door post of your house and on your gates what can you do last night we had the privilege of spending a little time with some of our dear friends in mississippi i watched as i walked in every room of her house there was not a room of her house where you would walk where in some shape, fashion, or form, Elise Lott had not found a way to incorporate the Word of God in the decor of that room. It might be in a picture frame. It might be on the wall. It might be a piece of art or a sculpture. But in some way, every room of her house, everywhere that you turn, had words and phrases from God's words. And, and things that reminded you of stories from the Bible. They had created an atmosphere in their home that told the story of God's word and God's works. We can do some things like that. What is your plan to share your faith with your grandchildren? Asaph didn't just sing it, he taught others to sing it. Lord, don't let me, don't forsake me until I have declared your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come, he says. Write it down in a journal. Senior adults, do you have a journal? Have you ever taken time just to stop and write down the story of your life and your family and how you came to faith and what God has done in your life over the last 30 or 40 years? Amen. Well, turn the Today Show off and quit watching Oprah and those women on The View argue. Amen. And take some Advil for your right hand and get you a smooth writing pen and write down the story of your family. Amen. Amen. Or or type it out if you prefer that, amen. Say, oh pastor, I can't do that. Well, you know what? Every one of your grandkids have something in their pocket that will do a wonderful job of recording you. Invite them over and say, I want you to videotape me for about 30 minutes and I want to tell the story of our family and how we became Christians and why we walk with God and what God has done to preserve our family over the last 20 or 30 or 40 years. Why don't you make a video of that? Your family would love to have that as a keepsake. They would love to be able to go back and see that when you're no longer with them anymore. Make a scrapbook. Put pictures. Put Bible verses. Tuck mementos in there that tell the story of your family's faith. Host a question and answer session with your grandkids and say, say, what would you like to ask me about my past, about my life growing up? What would you like to ask me about how we became Christians and why we live for the Lord? Take each one of them out for a meal. I want to tell you, they may turn you down for a lot, but you, you hang free old Charlie's in front of them and they'll show up. Amen. Glory to God, order a Marco's pizza to your house and sit them down at the dining table and while they go crazy over garlic, you say, I want to talk to you a few minutes and tell you the story that I don't know that I've ever shared or not about how I became a Christian. Pass down the legacy, share the heritage, share your stories, tell the things you've seen God do. Years ago, um, Mitchell Toll, he's senior pastor of Man of War Church of God, in Kentucky. He's all, most famously known as an artist. He has done portraits, watercolor portraits, for many of the presidents and the U.S. Army generals down through the years. He also has done great works for Alex Haley, the author of the Roots series, the book and the movies that recount the story of Alex Haley's family from the time of slavery to modern times. And it was very important to Alex Haley that he. Work of unearthing their family story so that his children and grandchildren had a sense of history and they knew who they were. They knew where they were going because they knew where they'd come from. It, was, it mattered to him very deeply. When he built a new house in California, Alex Haley fell in love with the work, arts, work of art by Mitchell Toll and he didn't want to buy a print. He wanted to buy the original, which is quite a bit of money. He actually sent someone and walked in and looked at multiple pieces of art and said, I want to buy every one of them and I want the original. Quite a sum of money. Not only that, Alex Haley flew Mitchell Toll out to his house in California to view the paintings and to ask questions about them and comment on them and had him over for dinner that night with his extended family. When dinner was over, Alex Haley and Mitchell Toll went walking through his garden and Alex Haley asked him the question. He said, Mitchell, who are you training to do what you do? How many students do you have? Who are you teaching to paint? And Mitchell Toll said, well, Alex, I, I'm not teaching anyone. I don't, I don't have any students. I've, I, I've never tried to do that. I've always done this, but I've never tried to teach anyone else to do it. I really don't know if I could or not. And Alex Haley grew very quiet, and he looked at him over the rim of his glasses and finally said, Mitchell, I like you. And Mitchell, I want to be your friend. But you see, I've devoted my life to preserving the heritage of my family and making sure that my family knows where they came from, and where they're headed. And Mitchell, I like you, but I'm going to be honest, I can't be friends with anyone who would let everything that they've learned die with them. Wow. I can't be friends with anyone who would let everything they've learned die with them. Mitchell told got on a plane, flew back to Kentucky, and started enlisting art students to teach them how to paint. Senior adults, you've been through too much You've experienced too much You've learned too much in your own shoe leather Of who God is and how God works To let everything you know die with you Don't you dare do it Don't do it You have a serious task The task of passing what you have encountered and learned and experienced successfully to the next generation. Figure out a way to share the message. Say share the message. We share the message and we serve as models. Not only do we say it, but we live it out. Not our lips, but our lifestyle. There are two stories of grandparents in 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 the Bible that I know of. One of them is 2 Kings 1741. Here's a negative example. Say here's the negative It says, even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. To this day, their children and grandchildren continue to do as their fathers did. Grandparents can have a negative impact by their bad example. Grandparents can also have a wonderful impact by their positive example, and we find that in the New Testament. 2 Timothy 1 and 5, Paul says, Timothy, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, And then in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now, lives in you also. We don't hear anything about his father or his grandfather, but a godly grandmother and a godly mother led Timothy to trust Jesus and serve him as Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. It's not just taught, it's caught by example. I close with this. There's a sober reason for all this. Why does it matter so much that we not let what we've learned die with us? Why must we figure out creative ways to communicate with our grandchildren the truth of our faith? Well, verse 7 and 8 tell us why. The sober reason is this, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation who did not set its heart aright, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Two reasons that I'm closing. Number one, we've got to pass this on to them so that they can remove the curse. Say, remove the curse. Verse 8 says that they may not be like their fathers. Can I tell you there are men and women in this room today who the best thing you could do is unlearn some things that your parents and grandparents handed down to you. I said unlearn some things that they handed down to you. Amen? There's some of you that come from family lines that were godless and where people didn't know the Lord or fear the Lord or even try to serve the Lord. Family lines where there's Curse and brokenness and violence and and all kinds of horrible sin that run in your bloodline today And I want to tell you that kind of stuff comes down in families like a curse Say a curse. curse Now pastor do you mean to tell me that God curses me for what my parents did? I didn't say that That's not how the curse works The curse works because you keep doing the things that they did Do you hear me? The way the curse works is this, one generation ignores God's commandments and they live godless lives and they reap the consequences of their godless behavior. And the next generation grows up in that and it becomes the model for them and they reproduce it. And they also reproduce the same brokenness and the same damage and the same... Evil consequences that come down to the next generation. And the Bible says the curse will come to the third and fourth generation. Why? Because we keep doing the same thing and it just keeps on coming down the family line. How many of you have seen it? Divorce, alcoholism, abuse, all these kinds of things. They get in a family and they just run in a family. Generation after generation. Somebody has to break the curse. Shay and I have a dear friend who will probably listen to this message. I won't call her name. She said she realized for three generations in her family, every woman in her family had made a decision that they didn't need a man and had run their husband off and filed for divorce. And she was the only woman in her family who had not done that. And she looked at her three daughters and her one son one day and said, I will not pass that down to my family it may be difficult, it may be hard but my husband and I are going to figure out how to make this thing work and we will break the curse and our generation and our children will see the model God helping us of an intact family that they may adopt that policy and that they may live that out amen, glory to God you may be here today and say well pastor I'm divorced, what can I do for, for my family, listen urge upon them the reality that friend, the model that you grew up with, have you seen the difficulty? Have you seen the heartbreak? Have you seen how difficult it is for us to do this the way that we have to do it? Don't do it that way if you can help it, baby. Don't do it that way if you can help it. Make sure you, you marry someone who loves God like you do and fears God like we do and that you're equally yoked and you're pulling in the right direction and do your best to make it work. Help them break the curse in their generation but be honest with them about the good and the bad be honest with them about where the lines are and that you hope for them something even if you didn't get it for yourself I won't I don't want what I have for my kids I want better than what I have for my kids amen And communicate that to them let them grab hold of that reality I want you to be the ones that break the curse and I want you to have an intact family so that you can enjoy the blessing and the gift of that my uncle was raised in a home marked by alcoholism and addiction and so he made the decision when he married as a young man he would not allow alcohol to come into his home he would not allow six-pack to bake it into his refrigerator because he had seen what it did and thank God he stepped up and said my family may have done this but I will break the curse in my house in my generation and alcoholism will not be the legacy that I pass on to my children even though it was the legacy handed down to me I will break the curse Say, break the curse when my father was still in the womb of his mother my grandmother his father walked out and left him at the height of the Great Depression it was the first family he would abandon but not the last family he would abandon of seven children two families of seven and another of two My grandfather got around, didn't he? Yes, he did. Sixteen children in all. I don't know how many of them he actually cared for or raised on my daddy's side. My daddy grew up hearing the stories of that. My dad could have very well been a casualty of his upbringing. But my dad fell on a Pentecostal altar on a Tuesday night and prayed through to the Holy Ghost before I was born. And that changed everything for my family going forward. And the day that I was born, my daddy looked down into my eyes and lifted me out of an incubator and said, God, as long as you put breath in my body, he'll have a daddy. And I'm 41 years old, and I've still got a daddy. And not only do I have a daddy, my children have a daddy, and my children have a granddaddy. Amen? Because Wayne Blaylock said, "I will not reproduce what was handed down to me. I will break the curse. It will stop with me. It will not go on down the line. I will not sow this into the future of my family. I will raise my family to love and to fear the Lord. Break the curse." Break it in your generation. Don't let it go another one down the line. Help your kids break things that have come down the line. You can't help what somebody else did to you, but you don't have to give a repeat performance. Stop rehearsing the failures of your own life. Just because somebody dropped you off somewhere doesn't mean you have to take mail at that address. You don't have to stay there. Start a new legacy of godliness. Break the curse and pass down the blessing. We do this because we need to remove the curse. And number two, they need to receive the blessing. Say, the blessing. Verse 7. Why is this so important? The psalmist says, he said, we are to do this because, he said, we are to do this. That they may set their hope in God. That they may not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Why? Because if they'll hope in God, and they'll walk in the ways of God, they'll receive the blessing of God. Amen. Amen. Can I tell you, God says the curse will be to the third and fourth generation. And after that, God in his mercy shuts it down and finds a way to break it. Either that family line usually plays out or somebody in that family line meets God and they break the cycle and it starts over. But can I tell you what else he said in Deuteronomy? He said the curse may go to the third and fourth generation before God finds a way to shut it down. He said, but my mercy is for a thousand generations of those who fear me. God limits the effects of the curse. Say amen. Thank God. But there is no limit to the effect of the blessing that comes on a family if somebody will choose to serve the Lord. The impact of one godly person can be felt, the Bible said, a thousand generations down the line. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. He will remember his mercy to a thousand generations of them that fear him. There is a divine blessing that comes on us when we walk in the fear of the Lord. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scoffer but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night he will be like a tree planted by rivers of water who brings forth his fruit in its season his leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper the ungodly are not so but are like the chaff that the wind drives away therefore the ungodly will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous but the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly will perish. There's a blessing. Blessed is the man. Who walks? Psalm 24, he says, Who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from the God of his salvation. What did Jesus say? He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness They will be filled Blessed are the merciful They shall obtain mercy Blessed are the pure in heart They will see God Blessed are the peacemakers They'll be called the sons of God Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake For theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed, blessed, blessed And that blessing doesn't stop with us It is a blessing that gets passed down in our family line if we will walk in the ways of God and train them to walk in the ways of God. Oh, Lord, help us. Why is it so important that they may set their hope on God and walk in His commandments? That they may hope in God and not forsake the works of God and keep His commandments. That's why it matters so very much. Stand with me all over the Lord's house today. Dear senior saint, Maybe you're wondering why God hasn't called you yet. Why God hasn't retired you and brought you to heaven. Maybe it has something to do with the calling on your life still. To pass down the legacy of faith to the next generation. You see, God is not going to let you leave. Until you have told your children and your children's children. The works of the Lord. And you have declared to them the goodness of God. Amen. Some of you say, well, I'm going to hold off because I want to stay here a while longer and I'm not going to finish that assignment just yet. (laughs) No. We know better than that, don't we? The reality is the clock is ticking for all of us. And what we do, we must do quickly. Because even if you're around longer, they may not be listening later. But if they're listening now, take the time and make the investment. To write on their hearts the works of God and the word of God. The word of God that you've learned and the works of God that you've seen and experienced. Amen. Amen. Oh God, do not forsake me until I have declared your strength to this generation. Your power to everyone who is to come. What about the children and the grandchildren who are here today? Take up the mantle of godly faith and Christian heritage from your grandparents. Walk in it. Make it your own. Adopt the faith as your faith. In every generation, there must come this transitional moment where the next generation says, this isn't just the faith of my fathers and my mothers. I don't just believe this because mom and daddy believed it or grandma and grandpa believed it. I believe it because I have done the homework and I have convinced myself in my own mind that God's word is true. And number two... I have leaned on God in my own experience and I have my own testimonies and stories of how God has come through for me. And nobody can talk me out of it because I was there and I know what he did when he did it for me. Amen. What's your story? You've got to have a story. Share your story. Adopt the faith. Make it your own. Remove the curse. Break it. Receive the blessing today. Every head bowed for a moment before we leave. I know you're ready to spend time with your grandparents and parents today. Take them out to lunch. Or maybe they're taking you out to lunch. I don't know how that works. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray today in this house. Lord, for two groups. Number one, I pray if there is any man or woman under the sound of my voice today who came because it was grandparents' day, but Lord, today they know in their heart that they aren't walking with God, they aren't being faithful to the Lord, they, they aren't faithful to church, they, they don't spend time in God's Word, and if they're honest, the principles of God's Word are not the main decision-making force of their life. They don't consult you, Lord, before making major decisions. They aren't living lives that strive to honor and please you. If they were honest today, they might be a fan of Jesus, but Jesus isn't really calling the shots in their lives. He's not really Lord and Master. Lord, I pray today for anyone like that in this room. That today would be a day when they understand that the blessing they have received by being raised in a godly family is not automatic. And they are not guaranteed to walk in it or to pass it down to their generation just because their parents and grandparents did it. But Lord, today help them to understand that God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children, sons and daughters, people who personally choose to trust Him and obey Him. And Lord, I pray today that anyone like that in this room would make the decision today, standing here with their loved ones, to say, it is time for me to draw my own line in the sand and make my own choice to trust Jesus, to serve God, and to follow Christ as my Savior and my Lord, not just trust Him, as my rescuer from sin, but to direct my life according to the principles of His Word. Lord, I pray that today would be the day they make that decision right now, right where they stand. Lord, I'm done. I'm crossing the line. I am going to become someone who adopts and passes on the legacy of blessing and keeps the curse at bay in my family as much as I can by keeping out Wrong choices of sin that lead to brokenness and damage both for me and for those who come after me. And finally, Lord, I pray today for moms and dads, grandparents and grandparents who are worried today about subsequent generations who may not seem to be following the Lord. Lord, I agree with them in prayer that you would reach in and rescue and save and draw back to yourself these young men and women That they might walk in the paths they were raised to walk in. That they might rediscover the paths of righteousness that they were trained up in. And that they might desire to know and serve the true and living God. And his son, the Lord Jesus, the only Savior from sin. Lord, grant it. Grant it today in Jesus' name. If you're here today and you don't have a home church, a good way to get started in passing on a legacy of faith is to get plugged into a family of believers. And I urge you to do that. And if you don't have one, we're not the best one, but we're not the worst one either. Amen? Come join us. Come join us. I believe we're the best one around here. That's why I'm part of it. Come be part of our local church. Come plug your family in here. You need a tribe to help you live out your faith and pass it on successfully. Come and join us. Amen? Come plug in and be part of us. Amen. Surrender your life to the Lord. Plug into a local church. We will help you live a life that leads to blessing and wholeness and breaks the curse of bondage in your life today. Amen. 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 One more time. One more time. Every head bowed. I I, I feel this in my spirit. If you're here this morning and you're not right with the Lord and you want to say, Pastor, remember me in this closing prayer. I want you to pray for me. If you're here and you'd be honest enough to say, my heart is not right with God. And I need to do some work in this department. I need to mend my relationship with the Lord. I need to return to God, the God of my youth, the God of my childhood, the God of my upbringing. I'm not walking with Him. I need to come back. Pastor, pray for me that I will make that journey back. I feel it. I sense it. The Holy Spirit's tugging at my heart to do so. Are you here today? Just slip up your hand real quick and say, preacher, pray for me. Nobody's looking but me. Just be honest with yourself. Thank you. Yeah, just being honest. Several today, yeah. I urge you today, find a quiet place if you need to. Get alone with God. Ask God to forgive you. Pray your way back into fellowship with Him. Then come plug in with both feet to the life of this local church. If you need to pray with somebody, come grab me. Come talk with me. Book a meeting with me. Whatever you need to do, We will help you figure out how to do this. It matters too much to not take action on it today. Your children and the children not yet born are depending on you and me to do the right thing with our lives today. Father, in Jesus' name, one more time, I ask you to stir hearts, move in us, and draw us close to yourself. Help us fix what needs fixing. Lord, today, just to have the courage to stop kicking the can down the road, to stop delaying it, to stop making excuses, and just to do it. Just to get alone with God and pray our way back into right fellowship with Him. To ask forgiveness for our sins. To start over where we are now and begin walking in obedience the best we can with the help and strength of God. To plug into this company of people who will help us walk it and live it week by week, day by day. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you receive this benediction from the Lord today? Thank you for listening to our podcast at the Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at the Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.